Welcome to episode number 44 of Talking Mopars and part two of the Direct Connections episode from last week with my friend Johnny Mopar. Once again, earmuffs are recommended for the kiddos, but we had a fun time and we hope you will too. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopar's Direct Connections. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Did we talk about your Roadrunner on the first episode we did together of this show? I don't think I don't we think talked so. about Yeah, why don't you tell us the story? Yes, aside from Chargers and a burnt up Cuda. <laughs> Johnny and a whole host of other Mopars. Johnny has also had a really awesome dude. Your Roadrunner is badass. Tell us about your Roadrunner. I remember seeing the pictures of it for the first time and I'm like, hey, you have too many cool cars that I want. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about that awesome Roadrunner. This is the ratty one, right? The blue one? Yeah, absolutely. That okay. Is, man, I love that car. That If I could find that exact car right now, I'd be a very happy man. But yeah, tell us, tell us, tell us the whole story about the Roadrunner. All right. So up in the high desert, which is, uh, I think it's like Apple Valley area out here. Not, you know, not that you would know where this is, but anyway, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch to get there from where I lived, but, uh, I think it was in the recycler or Craigslist or something. I'm not even sure if Craigslist was around back then, but I found this 70 Roadrunner. Right. And it was pretty sketchy description and stuff. And I call the guy and he's like, ah, it's pretty roached out, but it does run and it's a 383 car. I'm like, all right. And has TikTok tack in it. So I'm like, yeah, I want to go check this thing out. So I was just dating my wife back then, you know. So I, I, I coaxed her into going for a, a drive, you know, a road trip up to go check out this car. And I get there and it's like this lavender primer color and somebody rattle canned the stripe on the hood, you know, <laughs> it had the bulge hood and, uh, but it ran and I was like, ah, I'll buy it. It had wheel flares in the back, which I didn't care for. And uh, I think, I think I paid, I want to say it was like, 1500 bucks to $2,000, somewhere in there, drug at home. And then um, I, I didn't like the color, so I black primered the whole thing. And then I drove it around a little bit, but I didn't have it long. And, and then I, I was starting to chip out the crap and, you know, the flares in the wheel well, because I hated it. And then it's <laughs> like, oh, God, why did I open this up? It was just nasty. Like, they just... They just got in there with like sheet metal cutters and just like peeled the metal up and then just oh. mudded it, you know, oh. Oh, it was nasty. And then the right rear corner of that car, it had been hit. And then so somebody cut a clip off of another car. I'm thinking a four door and like <laughs> grafted it into the car. They did a terrible job of doing it. So I, I was just like, this is way too much for me. I'm I'm not going to take on a project like this. So I put it up for sale. And uh, yeah, I think it was probably the recycler. Anyway, this guy from same area, Apple Valley, calls me up. He's a tow truck driver. And he's like, uh, he goes, yeah, uh, I, I, I know that car. I've seen that car up here. Stop, tried to buy that car. The guy wouldn't sell it for years and years. And he's like, how did you get a hold of it? And I'm like, it was in the recycler, you know? And he's like, I can't believe I missed it, you know? So anyways, he goes, well, he didn't have, he didn't have the money, but he's like, would you be interested in a trade? And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I was like, what do you got? You know, and he's listing off like D100s and, you know, some A bodies like darts and, whatever <laughs> yeah, dusters. Who, who, want, who wants a dart when you can get chargers all the time for cheap <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> exactly so 
I'm like, eh, no, no, not interested. <laughs> and he goes, well, I got a, I got a 69 Roadrunner. And I go, oh. He goes, it doesn't have a drivetrain in it, but, you know, and it's B5 Blue. And and uh, I go, oh, that's, that sounds interesting. I'd be interested in that. And he goes, and I go, but, dude, this car is rough. The 70 is rough. And he goes, well, I really like 70s. 70s are my favorite. You know, so I described everything wrong with the car. Um, I think it had 355s in it. Uh, but anyway, he's like, well, can you come up and can I check out the car? Because I was really skeptical that he would be interested in trading for it right so i i drive up i met him i went like three quarters of the way up there and then he met me because he was working he was actually he showed up in a tow truck we met like right off the freeway you know he's checking out the car and he's like yeah i want it i'm interested and uh i'm like all right cool and he goes well come back up you know on the weekend and and all i had was like a really sketchy picture you know of the blue road runner, the 69. And, uh, so I said, well, all right, I'll, I'll come up. So I trailered the 70 up. I wasn't even sure I was going to do the deal on this 69. Cause I hadn't really seen it, you know? So I get up there to his house and he goes, yeah, come on, let's go for a ride. I'll take you, you know, show you the, show you the car or whatever. And he goes, but first let me show this, all, all this other stuff, you know? So he takes me, he shows me the D 100. It was on Boyd's and it, but it had been sitting, you know, it was a project. Everything he had was a project. And I'm just like, dude, this guy, I'm getting mad, you know? Cause he's like, he's like a bait and switch type of deal, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, no, not interested in any trucks. No, not interested in any a bodies. And so he tried to, you know, get me to see everything he has and, hopefully do a deal. He didn't want to let go of that 69 if, if he didn't have to. So he finally takes me back to his house and opens the garage and boom, there's the 69. And I'm like, all right, this car, it's rough. It was rough too, but it wasn't as rough as the 70. So it was like the 70 ran, but it had like major sheet metal problems with it, you know, and everything worked in that 70. Like all the gauges worked, the lights worked everything worked. It was pretty reliable, but it was a tired 383. 69 had no drivetrain, was missing a ton of parts, no interior, you know, it's like, but it didn't have a corner clipped off the car. I'll do the trade. So I did the trade, drug that thing home. I actually had that car for, I don't know, a few weeks. And I'm like thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing? This thing is too much work. Like it needs everything. And I actually put that car up for sale for, I think, you know, the $1,500 to $2,000 that I had paid for the 70 to try to get rid of this thing. Didn't get a, I got a few calls, you know, didn't get a lot. I had one guy actually come out and look at the car and he was just like, nah, this is too much work, man. And uh, he goes, well, I'll give you like, you know, a thousand bucks for it or something. And I was just, I felt kind of insulted. It was like, nah, nah, I'll keep it. And then that kind of pissed me off. It kind of give me, gave me some drive to, I could show these guys what this car could be, you know? So I stripped the, the engine bay, painted it B5 blue. The car was actually not B5 blue. It was like a, a heavy metal flake B5 blue. It was it kind of looked like B5, same shade, but it had a lot of metal flake in it. Very metallic, not a factory color. Um, but I left it, left the outside the same, painted the engine bay. Original color was turquoise, seafoam turquoise. Um, wow. Yeah, it was a cool car. It was actually rare because it was a 383 and it had cruise control, which I didn't even know 69s had cruise control. Neither did I. That's Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There's another trivia for There's you. Another trivia. I don't know anything about Mopars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool car. So anyway, uh, started putting it together. I found this guy selling crate motors. He had, well, he listed it as crate engines, right? And at that time, so this would have been in the 90s somewhere. Uh, Mopar actually made crate. It was when they were making the Hemis again. They were making crate wedge okay. motors too, mm -hmm. but 
they were really expensive. I want to say they were like five grand or something like that. And this guy was selling one for like 2,500 bucks and the other one for 1500 bucks. And I thought, man, that's kind of cheap for a crate engine, you know? So I called him up on it and he's like, oh, it's not the Mopar performance crate engine. It's a, it's like a factory uh, replacement block or engine long block. And I'm like, oh, okay. I go, well, yeah. And he goes, well, just come out and just make me an offer. And I'm like, oh, dude, I go, I, I probably wouldn't be able to pay that kind of money for it. And he goes, just come out and look at it. All right. So I go out there and he had two, I can't remember what the details on the other engine, but the engine that I was interested in, um, it was a 78 RV long block. This thing was all blue. It had the original exhaust manifolds on it, which were, you could see the overspray blue on them still. And it had tags on the motor. Like this thing had never been ran before. So what had happened, he told me he got it from a, a guy that used to work at a Dodge dealership. Somehow this motor got in there for a, to get a warranty job to get replaced. Um, and it, it, I don't know, maybe they fixed the, whatever that motor was for, they had fixed it and they didn't need the engine. So it just sat there, sat there in the corner of the shop. So one of the workers, one of the mechanics bought the motor from the dealership and he just sat on it for years. He poured gear oil down all the cylinders so that it wouldn't rust completely filled them up. Right. And so it's like, okay. And you know, I don't know. It's like, I don't know if this is true. I don't know how well it's going to run. It's been sitting around. Has it been outside? Supposedly been garaged. So I said, dude, I'll, I'll give you 500 bucks for it. That's, that's the best I can do. You know, I, I go, I, it's just, it's a gamble for me. It's a gamble, you know? And uh, he goes, all right, I'll take it. I'm like thinking, shit, you went from 1500 bucks to, to 500 bucks or it might've been the $2,500 motor to $500. I, I can't remember, you know? I so, thought I was the king of low balling. You cut him more <laughs> than in half. Wow. Johnny yeah. Mopar, ladies and gentlemen. It was easier back then. I I don't do this stuff anymore. But anyway, so I drag it home and put it on a stand, pull the plugs on it, turn it sideways with a pan underneath it. Sure enough, man, gear oil just comes pouring out of it. So I drained a thing of gear oil. Uh, it was a cast crank motor. I threw a, a Mopar um, 44 lift cam, no, 474 lift cam in it and hydraulic cam. Threw headers on it, bought a Edelbrock RPM intake for it, and a four barrel carb, and dropped it into this this Roadrunner, you know. And I, the first time I put adjustable rockers on this thing, and I start the car up, I get it running. The thing sounds like a freaking raped ape, man. It was <laughs> badass, you know. An open header at first, you know. I take it around the block. I think I got the exhaust. No, no, I think it was open header. I took it out around the block and just laid into it. And it was like, fuck, man, I mean, for me, that was the most power I'd ever experienced in my life. You know, uh, it was badass. So, of course, it's running like shit now, though. You know, something's wrong and it's popping an exhaust and stuff. So I'm like, shit, I pull the valve covers and sure enough got bent push rods like I, i'm just not this adjustable rocker shit on a hydraulic cam is just not for me so <laughs> i put pulled all that crap off and i put stock drivetrain on it uh or valve train on it and fired it up took it around the block the thing ran awesome but i'm at a light and i can hear you know, it's like the motor's really loud because of the exhaust, and I can, but I can hear a a, a knock, like a, just a ta 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 ta. It sounds like a rod knocking, but when I would lay into it, it would go away. Which it's like eh, usually it get worse if you're, you know, mm. if you're laying into it, it's going to knock harder. Whereas if you lay out of it, it's going to get lighter, I would think. And then I thought, well, maybe the oil pressure is going up, and that's why it's not knocking. And I didn't know what it was; it was driving me crazy. And then. um I'm like, I was so mad because I did all this work to this car, you know. Uh, I take it around the block and I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to blow it up. So I just freaking just nailing this car, ah, tearing it up, up and down the street. Didn't hurt it. 
it never changed. It would just have this little knock, you know, and it was only at idle. And so I, I put it up on jack stands. I fight. It's, it's like, cause I, when I'm, you know, I'd bring it home and I'd look around, I don't see anything touching or rattling anywhere, you know? So I put it up on jack stands and I fired the car up and I can see the header on the driver's side was pretty close to the torsion bar. And I'm like, ah, is it hitting? And so I took a, a crescent wrench handle and I wedged it between the two and the noise went away. So it was just sitting there. The motor was shaking enough where at idle or in gear at a stop sign, you know, it would, it would just knock that torsion bar. When, when I jumped on it, the, the motor would torque over away from the torsion bar and it would knock because it was all smooth, you know? So anyways, I lived with it. <laughs> I lived with the knock. I wasn't going to change the headers for that. And, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with that car. Took it down to Qualcomm Stadium and and raced it at the drag strip there. And the car is it it was it's a mild 440, and, you know, uh, more or less stock, uh, a performance stock engine, you know. But um, yeah, had a lot had a ton of fun with that car. I think it went at Qualcomm. It went eight six in the eighth mile, and then. Went to Irwindale one time and the car went eight one. Didn't do anything to it. It was just Qualcomm was a we were racing in the parking lot, you know, and Irwindale was a real drag strip. Like they would lay, you know, rubber, they prep the track and stuff like yeah. that. So the thing would hook. So when I launched at Irwindale, the first time I launched, this thing, it felt like a sledgehammer hitting the bottom of the car. When I first launched, I'm like, holy shit. I mean, just a bam, <laughs> extremely loud. And I'm like, oh, my God, I broke the car, you know. But everything seemed normal. I, I got out of it, but everything seemed normal. So I jumped on it again. I just got on it, and everything seemed fine. I get to the pit area. I look under the car. I don't see anything wrong with the car. I'm like, what the hell was that? So I get out there, and I, I go again. I nail it. This time, I'm just going to stay on it. Bam, bam, bam. It was like three big bam. I mean, as hard as you could take a sledgehammer to hit the bottom of the car, that's what this felt like. I like my cars low. So I had two inch blocks on this thing. So this thing was already low. The torsion bars were turned all the way down. I cut the bump stops up front so that I could get it lower and still have a, like, you know, a little sliver of travel. And uh, what was happening is the car was hooking so good at Irwindale, the pinion was coming up and smacking the body. Oh, yeah. And it, there was no distance between because I had the car so low. So it was just, it was hitting the body of the car and that's where the sledgehammer sound was coming from. So did it cool. dent the floor pan? I've heard stories about those things denting the floor pans. No, I, I mean that motor, I, I calculated it to make, it was making about 390 horse. So it wasn't like crazy horsepower. I'm sure if it was, making more horsepower yeah. would have done something like that, but it only sure. did it that I only raced it at Irwindale that one day. I probably made like 10 passes because the, uh, one of the speed shops out here is Bob Mazzolini out in Riverside. Oh yeah. You've heard of him. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's a, uh, he, I was in, I was in his shop one day buying some parts and he goes, Hey, we're going to, we're all going to get together. And we're going to rent Irwindale. It's like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks to get in and go racing there and we're gonna have the track all day to ourselves so i was like okay cool i'll do that i was i was the only guy there with like a street car everybody else there was with real car like hemi cars and you know big big motor cars you know uh drag cars so he would always give me a hard time because he's like yeah you got your money's worth man you because i made 10 passes these guys would make one pass and then they go to the pits and they'd have to cool off for an hour you know and here I am just in a streetcar. It's like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it was, it was cool. But yeah, I picked up a half second. So I always knew that car had a lot more in it. It just needed traction. And you were just running street tires, I imagine. No, I was running slicks. Oh, yeah. I was, I was, yeah, it was a small slick though. I think it was a nine inch slick, oh. uh, 28 inch diameter. If I remember right. Uh, it had a sure grip in it, 355 gears, <clears throat> but, uh, 
yeah, it was still it was just spinning at at Qualcomm. It just wasn't a sticky track out there. So, but. so what what happened with the Roadrunner then? So, man, that car. I think I told you this before. It was just it was so what other than when I first got it running after that, it just, it never gave me any problems. It was That's just right. a super yeah. reliable car. I could always jump in it and go anywhere in that car. And I did. And then plus the fun factor for that car, it was so, uh, it's different. Like my Coronet is, it's painted. I'm not going to say it's done. It's, it's nice enough for me, but, um, I won't leave it anywhere. You know, I won't leave it in a parking lot and, walk away from it it's like i gotta stay close to the car and make sure nothing touches it you know but with the roadrunner it was so rough it's like i could park it anywhere and if somebody scratched it i would never know because it already had a ton of scratches and dents and dings and everything in the car so yeah there was a lot of freedom in that and then plus just driving it on the streets you know i'd i'd drive it like a roadrunner that thing i would haul ass in that car and i'd throw it sideways i'd roast the tires in it you know never, never concerned about hurting that car, you know? So the ratty muscle car thing, and you just did a episode on, uh, on talking Mopars about ratty muscle cars. So absolutely, I could tell you just the difference. It's a different, it's a different experience. It's an awesome, it has, I'm, you know, the nice cars are really nice and I love nice cars. I'm sure most people do, but the ratty muscle car thing, man, there's like a whole nother level of freedom you have with cars like that. Cause you kind of just cut to the chase. You don't worry about fixing it up. You just get right in. I'm going after the motor, you know, and the trans, what do I need to make this car go down the road? And you, you spent, you could spend a little more money on horsepower than, than, you know, paint job or, you know, replacing some rusty panels or stuff, you know, and once, once that thing is rolling down the street, you don't worry about it getting, hit in an accident or getting dinged or dented. I mean, you don't care. I mean, to some degree you don't care. So it's, I could see why it's very popular now. I did it because I was poor, but, but you know, now it's kind of a thing. Yeah. That's, it's always good when trends start from, you know, low income type, yeah. you know, situations. Because yeah. then it opens the door for it. Like, oh, okay. You know, like, I love it. I, yeah, I could, if I won, you know, the Powerball or the crazy lottery or something, and I was a millionaire, like I said on the show, I'd still have a ratty Mopar. I just, yeah. I'm weird like that. I just, I love them. I, I look at so many Mopars every week and I only like now I'm kind of desensitized to all of it. But I still get excited when I see, you know, a Coronet RT that's, you know, mostly original and kind of like in a, you know, as found condition, like it survived yeah. the 80s, you know, and it's still, you know, a little beat up, a ratty muscle car, but yeah. a, a pure car. I like it when I find the RTs or yeah. the Dart GTSs or the, you know, Duster 340s, you know, that somehow survived. Maybe they've had a repaint, but. Yeah, you know, those cars are just awesome. Just get them running and drive them and enjoy the hell out of them, you know. And if you want to restore it, wait until you got all the cash and then, you know, have it restored. Yeah, I, we I think we talked about this before. I, I don't know if we talked about it on the episode or we were just BSing. But, um, you know, I think I think that if you're one of those guys that's restoring a car, like there's nothing wrong with that. But what I've learned is it takes years. Life comes along, you know, family, kids, house, finances, all that stuff, job, all that stuff will throw a monkey wrench into, you know, restoring a car. And like oh, I've yeah. told you with the, with the duster, that thing is drug out well over 10 years, you know, and that's not a, that's not a restored car. You know, it's just a, it's just a hot rod, just playing with it. But, uh, I, I hate the fact that it took so long to get to where it is and it's still not done. It's still not quite there, you know? So like if you were restoring say a 70 RT charger or something like that, like that's fine. Do that. But 
like have another car if you can like have that ratty muscle car like you're talking about you 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 know it's sort of somewhat survivor but it needs some things and you throw some disc brakes on it maybe you put new brake lines pads all that kind of stuff get the brakes in order maybe the motor's locked up and you just put a a motorhome 440 in there with a little cam in it or something like that and just go have fun have fun with that car and you drive that car while you're restoring the the bitching car in the garage you know yeah i agree 100 percent. that's you want to have fun that's the whole point of the hobby is to have fun and you know at for me right now, I have two projects that are still down in the garage because I just yeah. can't seem to find time. I'm, I'm yeah. going to find time eventually, but it just kills me because I want to enjoy them and I can't right now Yeah, because of, you know, life basically. Yeah. But the next car I get will be either very, very close to running and driving or running and driving. That's my goal. And I, uh, I don't know if I told you or not, but um, the uh, EL5 charger that I wanted got sold to somebody I know. So, oh, okay. It's, I'm not mad about it at all. And here's why. Because the guy who got it, now I don't know if he wants everybody to know. I'm not going to spill the beans for him, but he does restore and build cars. And he's building some awesome stuff. And... From what I understand, this, uh, from what he's told me and what I've heard about what this car is going to be, I'm really excited. And it's going to be better than I could have ever made it. You know, I was going to make yeah. it a ratty pro street car. That was my plan. You know, just haphazardly throw together a pro street car. But he's got some wicked, wicked plans for it. So I'm really excited to see it. I'll tell you off air the cars that he's been working on. Okay. But it's... uh. It's going to be insane if uh, what I've heard comes true. But, you know, I at first I was a little bummed out. I'm not going to lie. He sent me a picture over Facebook Messenger of it on the trailer. And he's like taking a picture of it like in the mirror. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> like, but, you know, deep down, it always hurts when somebody else swoops on a car that you're interested in. But at the same yeah. time, I knew it was going into the right hands. And I know the guy. So I'll be able to see the car and, hey, I don't get to spend any money on it. I probably won't get to drive it, but at least I don't have to spend the money on it and I can see yeah. what it would have become had I gotten it. But yeah. I was thinking about it and I was like, well, the whole point of me, the only reason I even saw that car in the first place was because I got a tip about a 75 D100 two wheel drive short bed. And, you know, when I got there to look at the truck, I, you know, I was so focused on the EL5 charger, you know, that I. I paid very little attention to the truck and now yeah. looking back, I probably should have just disregarded the charger and just paid attention to the truck. Cause I'm thinking back and I'm like, okay, it was a 318, supposedly ran. Um, it was a three speed manual and it was a, originally black it was everything I wanted in a, you know, I wish it was a four speed, wow. but I started thinking about it and I was like, yeah, it had a lot of rust problems. But then I thought, Hey, it would make a great ratty muscle truck because I got the truck on airbags, you know, so that's kind of like, you know, do I really want to make that one fast? Eh, maybe a little quick, maybe a little bit more powerful, but not fast. Mm -hmm. And I, after my buddy sent me the picture of the charger and I knew it was out of my hands and I wasn't going to get it, I started thinking about that D100 again. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try to work a deal on that thing because, you know, that... One thing I've learned in this game is that you may lose out on an opportunity, but there's always going to be another one down the road. You just have to yeah. be patient. And that one's been in my face the whole time. So yeah, I'm going to, I know the owner of that car is listening and I don't want to give out his name. I don't want to put him on blast, but he's also selling a 70 challenger that he talked me out of. Cause originally I was talking a big game and I kind of wanted the charger, the truck, and when I found out he had a challenger too, I was like, well, how much for all three? Let's get crazy. Yeah. But he, he really wouldn't give a price on the challenger at the time. But now after selling the charger, he has a price on the challenger and it's 2,500. Oh, what your challenger? It's a 70. Um, oh. It's a JH car, but it is, he's a realist and he says, you know, it's, it's good for um, a donor car. Basically, he doesn't think it should be rebuilt. 
or that it's rebuildable. But what I saw in it immediately was I was like, that's a race car waiting to happen. You know, yeah. it's JH, you know, 2,500 bucks. It's debatable whether that's too expensive. I mean, it's probably too expensive for Johnny Mopar. You're not getting it for a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, from all the ones I've seen, I'm like, you know, 2,500 bucks for a decent shell. I mean, he says it needs quarters, which it probably does. Uh, floors and the roof. Although I did not see what he was talking about on the roof, but I, I take his word for it because he also restores cars. Mm. But I'm I'm just like, okay, throw skin on the roof and get the quarters. And as far as the floors, I would say just, you know, if you're going to turn it into a race car, aluminum floors and just get crazy with it, one piece front yeah. end and just get nuts with it and take it to the track. But, you know, 2,500, I was like, eh. you know, it was actually supposed to be if it, if you and I weren't doing the episode, it was going to be project car of the week. Cause I just wanted to talk about, you know, maybe you don't want a street car and you just want to spend a couple grand and start building a race car. Something like that might be right. Yeah. Up your, right. Up what your about, what about a roadkill car? I mean, I, you know, I, the one thing I love about roadkills is, is just like it swung the door open for, you know, being able to have a ton of fun with something for virtually no money. You know, I mean, like uh, a buddy of mine, he's got a he's got a Polara uh, 64, I think it is or four or five, whatever, three. I think it's a 63, actually. Anyways, uh, Rusty car, he bought patch panels for it, and he just riveted them to the floor over the original floors to fix the holes in the floor. Because the car, he paid like, I think he paid like 200 bucks for this freaking car. And it was running, has a Poly 318 in it, it's a four-door, nice. you know. But, uh, sorry, getting a message here. Um, yeah, I mean for him to cut the floors out of a four door and replace them and weld them in, do it right. A car is not worth anything, but to rivet some floors in there. So your feet don't fall through and you could just go have a ton of fun with this thing and just go thrash on it. What's wrong with that? You know, and, w and what if you could do that to a car, like a 70 challenger and have like a really, that's a freaking cool car, you know, yeah. be able to go right. thrash around on a, yeah. a 70 challenger. I don't, I don't, I don't think he understood where I was coming from when I said, Hey, I don't, I'm a ratty Mopar guy. I, yeah, yeah. I don't have the money to throw at these cars to give them full restorations. And I don't, yeah. I just don't have the resources. That's all there is to right. it. And he's the type of guy where it's like, you know, restore them, you know, make them very pretty. Yeah. And, you know, that's where we differ in our opinions. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, Oh, it needs a roof and quarters. And I'm like, for what to win a show? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm not trying to win a show. I'm trying to drive the damn thing. You yeah. know what I mean? But that's exactly what you were just saying is how I'm looking at this truck. If I get this truck, cause it had some questionable rust spots on it, but I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, hell dude, you're not going to, you're not going to take it to a show and expect to win a show. You right. just want to drive it until the wheels fall off, drive the yeah. hell out of it. So I'm yeah. like, okay, maybe this will be a fun truck. And I like that it's a manual because I really want to put a pistol grip shifter in an old truck. <laughs> I really do. It's a stupid little thing. I know it's kind yeah. of lame, but I'm going to do it. If I get that truck, I'm I'm going to get a Hurst in there just for fun, even though it's a three speed. Screw it. Hell um, yeah. But uh, going to the whole floor pan thing, it was funny that you mentioned that because I, <laughs> when you said that, I was thinking about I have a collection of Washington license plates and ah. You know, for anybody that's been listening to the show for any amount of time, um, I've mentioned a couple of times that I actually am a garbage man, but I pick up residential recycle and the number of license plates I've gotten from my job. Just I dump a cart and I see the out of the can falls a bunch of license plates. So I, I shut everything <laughs> off. I open the truck up and I go in there and I dig like a vandal <laughs> and I fish out these license plates and I'm like, oh, these will be cool. I have stacks of Washington state license plates, nothing special. But, uh, I was like, does your wife, when you come home those days, is your wife like, what the hell were you doing today? <laughs> she doesn't know that I bring home license plates. <laughs> oh, I was just thinking from the smell. You know? oh, <laughs> They're swimming through the trash. Here's my other. So, for those of you that don't know, after a certain amount of time, the smell dies on metal. So I actually, uh, in my work truck, if you were to open one of the side compartments, <laughs> um, I have 
license plates stacked up. So I have a bunch of license plates just letting all the rotten food or whatever's thrown in there <laughs> kind of wear off. Because even though even though it's recycled, for some reason, people still put trash in their recycling. So the ones I fished out, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's got food on it. <laughs> you know? but, uh, the little lot that I have right now is probably ready to come home. And uh, But anyways, I was actually thinking about you know, cause that truck does have some, you know, those D100s, you know, they're either really clean or they're really not. Yeah. And this one, the floors are pretty rough. And I, if I remember right, it, um, I have the pictures of it somewhere, but, uh, it has a patch on the tunnel. And I was just thinking, I was like, God, I got all these license plates and I, I could just, you know, screw these license plates to the floor and just have a license plate floor. I mean, screw Hell it. Yeah. <laughs> if it's going to be seen... ratty, let's make it ratty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I've seen that on like rat rods before. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's where I, got. I, I like that. And then uh, I've seen um, street signs used, as yeah. board, which I thought yeah. was pretty cool. I was like, oh, so <laughs> who knows what the hell? I actually have um, the stock hood from my dart. I've been hoarding it because I'm like, you know. I could just take it down to bare metal and use the metal for patch panels if I really yeah. wanted to. But yeah, who knows? I'm not sure how much he wants to sell the truck to me for. I'm trying to get it for a deal because I helped him sell the charger. I was like, yeah, hey, helping you out. But I know he's listening to this. I know Fucking he's going to listen up. to this. You're listening, <laughs> buddy. Um, yeah, I'm, now I'm trying to help him sell this Challenger because I think it's a good car for something. There's an ass for every seat. You know what I yeah. mean? Someone well, will want their car. I mean, I think of cars, cars that are like on the cusp, you know, like parts car that probably doesn't, it's not cost effective to restore. You know, maybe it's a 318 car and it's mm. like, sorry, there's no value in it. And floors are rusty, quarter panels are rusty or whatever. I mean, if you think about that one car, it's like, okay, it's destiny is to become a parts car for something else and then get crushed. So it's like, why not throw a little, a few more years of life on it and just go thrash on it and beat on it and tear around corners somewhere in a 70 challenger before it, you know, meets its demise. You know, I, I think, I think if a car has got that kind of uh, destiny for it, like it's going to die, like, why not? As long as it's structurally safe, you know, like we're not talking yeah, frame rails rusted yeah, out or yeah, anything yeah. like that, but you know, the rails are good on it. The rails are good on that car. So yeah, I mean, dude. It's, and in fact, I mean, if you did something like that in 20 years from now, you know, that it might be worth cause they're, they're dying off. I mean, we're getting fewer and fewer of them every day. It's become a worldwide, uh, hobby and so the world is consuming these old american cars so it's not like they're all just consolidated in the u.s anymore so uh you know i, I mean how i the stories i've told you of my cars i mean so many of those cars like that that 69 i told you i cut up today i wouldn't cut that car up yeah, you know yeah. but it wasn't worth it back then uh and shit if i had that car today how cool would it be to just throw a drivetrain in it and go thrash on the damn thing no matter how yeah. ugly it looks it's still a 69 charger you know absolutely so I, uh, I battle all the time and this is one reason why for anybody that follows the mopar hunter on facebook why i don't interact so much on the comment threads on these posts because my my feelings are always going to stay the same. Like for, for instance, with this challenger, 2,500 bucks, you will double your money someday. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year, but right. someday there's no more 70 char or challengers getting made. Right. Someday someone's going to go, I want a 70 challenger shell, an original shell. And you've got one, you mm -hmm. know, and who knows what they're going to be. We don't know where, what the future is going to bring. I mean, back in 1969, if you told people, that the cars that they were buying for, you know, four or five grand, three grand, were going to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars because they have <laughs> Hemi's in them. Yeah. They would have been like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, and here's a good example is there's a restoration shop and I guess you could call them a dealership called Sonoff's um, Master uh, Garage out in okay. Denver, I believe. And they pull some really interesting cars and i i think they just source them from wherever 
and some of them are barn finds and some of them aren't, but they just recently posted, I believe it's a 70, uh, 340 duster that's been repainted once, but it's got, um, 11,000 original miles. And just looking at, you can tell when wow. a car hasn't rolled over because you look at it and you're like, okay, that's original carpet. That is, I mean, immaculate And this, you know, I'm looking at the car and I'm like, in my head, I know where the money's going to be. And I was, I was pretty close. They want $30,000 for this thing. Now it's a 70 duster. Okay. So I'm like, in my head, of course, I'm going as an A-body owner. I'm like, there's no way. Or 30 grand. You're kidding me. And yeah. that's at, a, that's at a price reduction. And I'm like, man, that's uh pretty optimistic for an A-body. But yeah. here's the thing. In 20 years, we may all be looking back at that going, God, that was actually a good deal because who would have known that, right. you know, a low mileage, you never know what car is going to take off next. Chargers, yeah. Kudas. I mean, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the scene to blow up on darts so I can, <laughs> so yeah. I can actually have mine be worth something. But, um, <laughs> well, I was giving you a hard time when you posted the, the 71, you said you were going to pass on it. And I'd said, uh, I was pretending like I was a, a host on talking Mopars and saying, uh, you know, like we're having these conversations about my old stories and we're going to have Chris on this show talking about <laughs> yeah. this charger he could have bought for was it a thousand bucks or something like that. Yeah, or, a thousand bucks. Yeah. And now they're going for $2 million, you know, yeah. some 20, 30 well, years later. Not, not sure. that they will go for that kind of money, but you never know. I mean... <laughs> They're definitely no Mopar that you buy will lose money at this point, in my opinion, unless you buy a new something off the lot. And that's just natural depreciation. If you buy anything, right. I mean, gosh, even the, you know, turbo Mopars of the 80s, which I'm a big fan of the eight, the 80s, yeah. and early 90s, even those things, I've, I've seen some low mileage examples going for quite a bit of money. And I just don't see anything from that era back. And also including Vipers. Um, I don't see them depreciating anytime soon unless the economy takes a complete dive. I know there's a lot of people, you know, they thought coronavirus was going to bring, you know, the best Mopar prices you've ever seen. Hey, I look every day. I have not seen those prices yet. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And and if I, I've come to the conclusion, like I'm sure you're seeing the, the 70 charger for 10 grand that ended up selling for 21 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I figured it out. That guy knew he was never going to sell that car for ten grand. He wanted to get as much people calling him as possible so he could play that game, answer the phone. Somebody's got, oh, I got ten grand cash right now. I'll come get it. Oh, man, I, you know, that's cool. I'll keep you on the list, but I've got three right. more guys. One guy's right. at 17, one guy's at 19. In reality, nobody's called because they figure the car's been sold. So this yeah. guy goes, okay, 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 okay. I'll come over. Let me come over and look at the car. I'll bring some extra money. He goes over yeah. there with 20 grand. You know, it's the way people game the system. And I'm starting to like pick up on this stuff because at first, you know, I really didn't care so much uh, with the prices that I post cars on the Mopar Hunter with because nine times out of 10, 99.9% .9 of the people that look at those cars aren't going to buy them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's never about, you know, prices, it's more about just the car and just getting an idea of what's out there. Yeah. And I think that gets lost on a lot of people, but some of these prices are obviously way, way optimistic, but I always ask people, Hey, if you were selling the car, are you going to give it away? No, yeah. you're going to try to get as much money as you can. That's the whole right. point of selling something, right? You know, unless you're a really nice guy, but yeah. you know, I I've met a few, but I haven't met a lot that'll give cars away. You know? Right. And it's understandable. You know, you want to make a little bit of money. I mean, would I sell a car? Would I screw over a buddy to make a dollar? No, absolutely not. If I, right. you know, if I didn't need to get rich, I wouldn't do it to a friend. But, you know, if you're selling it just to sell it, like if I was going to sell my dart right now, I know deep down inside that the car is probably worth as it sits. I mean, it's basically a shell. It's, I mean, I bought it for 1500 bucks. I didn't, you know, that it wasn't an investment car to me. Yeah. 
So I'll be lucky to even get that out of it probably. But I've seen other darts where I'm like, how is this? And then I start thinking to myself, maybe I'm undercutting myself. Maybe I, maybe yeah. I have a car that's actually worth a little bit more, maybe four grand or three grand. Right. But, um, you know, these prices that I'm seeing, I can always tell. And people lose their minds. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's out of his mind. A lot of people think that they're all my cars too. I get, I get a kick out of that. They think that they're talking to the seller, like, good luck, buddy. You'll never get that. Yeah. You're out of your mind. And I'm like, I always just post something to the effect of like, oh, hey, the seller is probably not going to read this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's not, he doesn't know his car got posted on here. So you're basically talking to the air, buddy. But right. I'm thinking to myself, you actually think that all these cars I post are mine? I would if I had all these Mopars, I would not waste my time on Facebook. I'd be out right. enjoying all my Mopars. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, I, I get it though. I, some of these prices are nuts, but people, they just, they flame. They're just like, ah, and they go crazy in the comments. And I'm like, you yeah. really think he's going to sell it for that? No, dude, he's yeah. overpricing it so that someone will come in and think they're getting a deal when he's asking 20 and he sells it for 15, knock right. 5,000 off for you, buddy. You know, exactly. So, I think people are taking these prices at too they're too personally. They're not going to oh, sell them for that price. You know, you yeah, see ones that are overpriced and they stay up in ads. I see it every week that I look for these cars. I'm like, oh, there's the same car. How long has it been up there now? Oh, six months. Yeah, he's not going to sell it for that price. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I think there's it's just a combination of everything. You know, uh, you got people that think their car is worth more than it is, you know, and you've got people that have, well, I, I bought a ratty charger that was, had rusted out floors for, you know, 500 bucks. And here you are selling the same car for $15,000. Like you're on crack, you know? And so those are the guys that are usually making, putting comments on those posts, you know, uh, so it's a relative thing, but you as the seller, yeah, I mean, you just never know. I mean, if that rusted out car is a RT and it's a particular, you know, it's a 70 RT with the 446 back and it's plum crazy purple, there's probably some guy out there that's like, that's the car for me. I got to have that car. You know, it's oh, yeah. it's got all the combination I want, you know, and if he's got the bankroll to restore it, he's not going to, he's not going to flinch at a $15,000 price. And he's probably not going to pay that, you know, he, maybe he'll pay, you know, 12 for it or 10 or something like that, you know, depending on how bad the car is, but you know, uh, and, and that's these guys that are making these comments, you know, a lot of times they, they don't see that they don't, they can't envision that, you know, because they paid far less for a car. So the values of these cars are, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to pin down really, you know, it these is. aren't like new cars where you go on blue book and you punch in a certain amount of mileage, you know, and you, and then it spits out the car is worth this dollar amount, you know, and they're all worth this much across the whole country. You know, they're all the same. These cars are all over the place, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And there are those nut jobs that see these auctions and think they mm -hmm. have something that is worth gold. And it's like, are you really yeah. that dumb? Yeah. Or are you just trying to find a sucker or are you just pricing high, hoping that somebody's going to come in and make your day? I, you know, there's, well, there's people that think just because it's old, it's worth a lot of money. And, yeah. you know, I was joking about the slant six four door car, but I've actually seen that happen. There's a Mopar car club down in San Diego. And I went down to go to one of their club nights. And that particular night, this girl showed up and she was, she was like, yeah, you know, her granddad passed away and left her this car. And it was like, it was, I can't remember what it was specifically, but it was like a, a valiant or a dart you know, like a, a 67 or eight, um, slant six, four door, like, Oh, it's in great condition. You know, it's, a, it's perfect. And she's probably watching Barrett Jackson on TV <laughs> and she's like, it, uh, you know, it's for sale if anybody wants to buy it. And she was asking like five grand for it. And everybody in there is like, no, no, it's not, you, you know, they're squirming. Nobody wants to break her heart and say, yeah. sorry, it's not worth any of that. That's like the desirability of that car is so low. It's condition 
doesn't matter, you know? So it, it, you, all these factors play the desirability of the car, the condition of the car, you know? Yeah. You do. I've seen that many times with people like, Oh, it was my grandpa's car. And they, they think it's worth a little bit of money. And it's like, mm-hmm. ah, yeah, nobody really wants that thing. Well, yeah. I take that back. Cause like I said, there is an ass for every seat, but some of those asses are really hard to find. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, well, there's somebody that wants that car, but they're going to pay, yeah. you know, yeah. back when I went that, that car was maybe an $800 car, you yeah. know, <laughs> at its best day. So at that price, somebody will buy it and somebody will be tickled pink to drive it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, there's only one, there's only one person on this earth that could probably look at all the prices of any of these Mopars that even not just I post, but other people post and can say that's way too much money. I only paid a hundred dollars for a 68 charger. That's Johnny Mopar. Johnny Mopar is <laughs> the only person on this planet that can complain about prices being too high. <laughs> He's got a track record of lowest price Mopars ever bought. <laughs> I know um, a whole bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, it's great, but it's cool. It's cool to hear those stories, you know, because it gives people like me and others hope that one day you're going to, you never know what is hiding in that shed or in that backyard. And how, if you catch that person on the right day, yeah, you know, or you're the type of person they've been waiting for somebody nice, not some, yeah. You can't be a jackass when you, you approach some of these people because they're going to, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. They'll sniff it out. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll sniff it out. And you're, you're not going to get the car. You're not going to no. get it at a deal. No, but, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, it was a unique set of circumstances back then. It's, it's you know, I was thinking about it. It's like, you know, I haven't, other than the the Road Rash Charger I paid 3500 for, which is a pretty big dollar amount compared to the cars I bought in the past, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I haven't done this kind of stuff a lot in lately, you know, uh, so it's like, well, part of it was, you know, like we were talking about the area, maybe there was the this Dodge dealership in the area. It was, it's rural. So people can, when their car breaks down, they could park it in the yard and let it sit there 10 to 15 years. Whereas if you lived in the city, code enforcement would say, you need to get this thing out of here or we're going to fine you, you know? So I, you had that, I had that plane for me. Um, I was, uh, I held out getting married and kids for a long time. So I think that plays a huge role as well. I had a lot more freedom when I was younger and I did what I wanted to. And I, you know, I see an ad, I'd call and I'd go out there and get it. I didn't have to answer to anybody. I think that plays a big role too, you know, and of course the prices, there was tons of those cars out there and they were just, they weren't worth anything. They were cheap. They were dirt cheap and everywhere, at least where I was. Those things are just, you know, you're, those kinds of stars don't align anymore, you know, not only for me, but for anybody, it's like, they're not plentiful anymore. You know, even these rural places, a lot of these, you know, guys like me or, or other guys, you know, flippers and stuff, they've gone into these places and cleaned them out, you know, these neighborhoods or these farms or whatever, you know, all that stuff is, they're out there. I'm not saying they're not out there, but they're not as plentiful as they were when I was doing it, you know. Uh, you know, they're definitely still out there because I'm surprised every week somebody, you know, finds a nice little collection. Like the guy that Mike Coffee knows. Um, oh, yeah. The the Charger 500 and the Cornet the, RT. The Hemi Challenger. I Yeah. I saw that and I just... I just wanted to crawl into a hole and die. Like, how come I never find anything like that? But (laughs) you never know where they're at. And there was another, um, a find where the old vintage car hauler that had the challenger on it, the, um, the, I think it was just an SE challenger, but uh, there's this famous car trailer off the side of the road that had a bunch of cars on it. And the owner for the longest time wasn't willing to sell them. Well, I, I know that Ryan brought the um, auto archaeologist um, had documented the cars and the owner finally let it all go. I don't know the entire story, but mm. you know, that was on, that was all over Instagram of these guys pulling these cars out. So 
Wow. Shout out to all the real Mopar hunters out there that are getting these cars still. I These cars are still out there. And sometimes, you know, that's another persistence thing. You know, there's that car that you've been watching for years that has been sitting there. They're either going to get to it or you're eventually going to be able to buy it. You just have to be ready. You know? Yeah. You know what? It's been a long night. I Next time we talk, let's talk about that very topic because okay. I got a I got a story I'd like to talk about on that where it's All like right. you know the ones that got away hmm. and uh, not being ready not being ready absolutely so. before we before we sign off tonight Johnny okay I know you know about the build Mopar project um, yeah we've learned that it's going to be a 68 Dodge Dart super stock tribute car with a modern Hemi what direction would you like to see the car go? Oh, it's going to have to be drag racing for me. I Absolutely. just, I love drag cars. So I, I know there's, you know, it's a variety of uh, options for road course or, you know, or whatnot. But my vote's for a drag car. It's definitely going to be, a, it's definitely going to be a drag car. There's no doubt about it. They're actually, okay. the plan is to get the car built after all the votes um, it's going to be all voted on by the Mopar community. So we're going to choose drivetrain, paint, um, suspension. I think we're going to choose the seats. I mean, the whole car is going to be built on votes and it's going to eventually compete and be tested at the modern street Hemi shootout, which is all modern, um, Mopar powered, uh, cars, drag racing. So okay. basically once we get the color na nailed down, we get to the engine stuff and you can go from a five, seven all the way up to a six, four. And then you got the, um, the Hellcat engines. And then do we want to see a supercharged engine, a turbocharged engine, a nitrous engine? Um, you know, there's a bunch of different gotcha. options for us to choose from, or that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Uh, and from what I know, I know there's going to be definitely a forced induction option. I'm curious to know, like for me, I really wanted it to be a straight replica of the 68 Superstock Dart with just a modern Hemi in it, just so I could see what it would do. But then I mm -hmm. had to ask myself, you know, what would I, would I want it to be turbocharged? But as much as I like forced induction, I really want to see what the absolute ceiling is for a 6.4 Hemi. You know, obviously yeah. it would be stroked out or whatever, but I would just want to see what the, what you could absolutely do to that and compare it to the old Hemi. Cause the old Hemis, I mean, they rated them factory at what, 425 horsepower. They're more closer to 500, but the, um, super stock dart, I think that was closer to 550 or 600 horsepower. Um, mm -hmm. when it was all said and done with all the tuning and stuff that the guys did, but they were running, you know, low tens, high nines. So yeah. I'm curious to see what just the same exact car with the modern power plant would do. I think it'll, I think it'll get into the low nines, but yeah, that would be cool. I mean, for me, as far as which Hemi, I would prefer to stay away from like the Hellcats just cause that's, that strikes me as being a little more out of reach for the average guy. I would try to stay more, you know, what could the average guy buy? What could the, what could the average guy get? and maximize the power out of it so i think the 6.4 would be a awesome choice you know i kind of I, I would i'm a little torn because you know my preference would be do it all old school as much as possible but since we're in the context of this is going to be modern hemi stuff uh you know turbos have been kind of like you know you, you see turbos on um you know uh I'm drawing a blank on the street racing stuff, but uh, uh, street outlaws and stuff. Yeah. Street outlaws and stuff like that. It's like, and you don't see a lot of, you don't see a whole lot of Mopars ever pop up on there. So I would, I would be really interested just to see a turbo. Like I have no idea personally, like how to set up a turbo on an engine, you know, and how do you tune it and what's involved with it? Like, there's no roadmap for that that I've seen anyway. I'm sure that sure it's out there or somebody's probably done it, but it'd be kind of cool to say, okay, here's an old school Mopar. 
Here's a 6.4 Hemi. This is what we use. This is the turbo we got. This is how much it costs. This is how we piped it. This is how we tuned it. This is how the electronics work on it, you know, and boom. Be awesome to have a nine second car, car dipping into the nines, you know, if that's possible. Whatever, even if it's in the tens, it's still like a pretty fast freaking car. It'd be nice to know what what it takes to make that happen. Well, I do know that I do know the class that they're going to run the car in, and this is on um, hemipages.com. My friends over at hemipages and ready chassis are building this car. Uh, but you can go to buildmopar.com to make your votes and see what's happening and keep up to date with the project. But I do know that they're going to be in the, I believe it's a super pro 850 class. Ooh. So, wow. I mean, they're not messing around. Yeah. So it's going to be, it'll be tough to hit that. I think with an all motor six, four, I would like to see it, but I mean, I completely agree with you seeing what a six, four can handle with the turbo. Man, that would be fun. And I, I don't think it'll have any problems, you know, being competitive because I, you look in some of these hot rod issues with, you know, I've seen a couple darts with modern Hemis that are turbocharged. They're making some serious power and they're running, you know, eight second quarter miles. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And the best part is, is we can all vote on it. So, yeah, yeah. You know, we don't have to spend any money. And the budget for the car is right around 35000 So 30, okay. 35000 So, I mean, is it, you know, for the average Joe? I mean, I would say yes and no, because most people, you know, that are, you know, I would say blue collar, middle class could probably go out and buy a Challenger you know, a new challenger for, you know, 40 grand or whatever. So mm -hmm. 35,000 isn't that far out of reach for the average guy. So I think it's, I mean, especially when you're building a race car, you know? Yeah. So like well, I, th I think too, you know, um, if, if everything is sort of documented and, you know, this is, the, this is where we got the parts, this is what it cost, you know, even though you may not have 35 grand to build a car, you could take elements of this, like, you know, it's like, oh, all right, the paint job costs 10 grand. I don't need that. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. I just, I just knocked 10 grand off the price, you know, or, or whatever. Maybe, maybe it's uh they're pulling a turbo off of some car in the junkyard versus buying a brand new one or something, you know, and it's like, well, it's, it'll do the same job. So I could save a few bucks there, but you know, I, I think just the fact that they're doing it and they're, they're kind of, laying this roadmap i think i think everybody can get on board with it and see how it's done and then take elements from it for their own builds you know not not have to necessarily do a cookie cutter of it if the guy's got the money to do a cookie cutter it's like yeah eight and a half second car sure i'll just do it exactly like the way they built it you know but the if the guy's budget is not quite that big, it's like, I'll take these elements versus those elements. And, you know, everybody thinks they can do something a little better or a little cheaper here and there. So I think it'll be fun for all of us to watch. That's a great point. And actually that is one of the best parts about this project is that they are going to document the entire process yeah. and lay it all out for anybody. So, I mean, like exactly what you're saying is you can look at all the plans and say, I don't need the fancy paint job. I don't need the fancy, you know, right. Dollar racing <laughs> wheels or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And you can kind of build the car based on their guidelines as far or their, their technical instruction. So right. it'll, it'll be really fun to see what happens. Um, I'm just glad it's a dart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that one was for me. I was really happy to see that happen. Um, well, out but, of the choices, so am I. I mean, I, I think I told you it's like if it were a 68 to 70 B body, if that were an option in there, I would have went over. with the B body. Yeah, yeah, that would that would have been game over. That would have been no fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I but those cars are also really expensive, and that would add a lot to the budget too. You know, so. I hope there's I hope there's more build Mopar projects in the future so they can kind of expand things out. I would love to see yeah. what other crazy concoctions um, the Mopar community could come up with. But yeah, yeah buildmopar.com for all you guys out there and gals listening that um, 
you know, our Mopar enthusiasts and want to see a drag car get built and kind of help guide the process. That'll be really fun. But yeah. Johnny, we're over two hours, buddy. We yeah. did it once again. Um, I know. <laughs> let's do this again soon. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. down. I still got a ton of stories to tell. Oh, we'll, I we'll have to... <laughs> <laughs> so it's always fun just shooting the shit and, you know, yeah, it's great. telling these war stories, how it used to be. I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there that are like, yeah, I remember those days when you could buy a Mopar for a hundred bucks or 200 bucks or $65 for a CUDA. <laughs> I, I, every day I think, please just give me one cheap Mopar so I can just, <laughs> I, I can have content for this podcast for <laughs> years if i can get one for a hundred bucks i don't know a thousand bucks is pretty cheap nowadays chris it's pretty cheap and i let it slip through my fingers i lost the five hundred dollar dart i lost the thousand dollar charger and you know and what really worries me is that i'm going to buy the car and i know this shouldn't worry me it's like okay i'll spend it let's say i buy the charger for a thousand bucks yeah. Two weeks later, a roadrunner comes up running and driving, and the guy's like, eh, 800 bucks. I'd probably take, I mean, I would find the money, don't get me wrong, but I was like, why? Yeah. Did I, I got this charger too. It needs all this work, but you know. <laughs> I never yeah. worried about that, man. I always, I always That's figured <laughs> I could always sell it, you know, and I Absolutely. did. I mean, most of the time when I've sold them, it was to buy another car, buy a different <laughs> car. So. <laughs> Yeah, man, it that's just the way it is. But I, I think that's a Mopar thing. I think Mopar yeah. guys just, you know, because there's so many cool Mopars, <laughs> you know, you kind of want one of everything that you're interested in. And for me, it's everything. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's going to be a problem for me financially. But <laughs> yeah, oh, it's been a problem for me, too. <laughs> you don't know how much shit I get from my friends. <laughs> it's like, why don't you just sell all of them and build one nice one? <laughs> Why don't uh, you shut up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just right. can't do it. All right, Johnny. Once again, Johnny Mopar. We'll talk again soon. All right, buddy. Sounds good, Chris. You take All care. Right, yep. Talk to you no, later. No Mopar left behind, folks. Yes, sir. Boom. Thanks to my friend, Johnny Mopar, for joining me on these last two episodes. I always enjoy talking Mopars with my friends, but before we put the pedal to the metal here, I want to remind you to go check out buildmopar.com. As of right now, the Mopar enthusiast votes have been tallied for the last two rounds of the Build Mopar project, and we the people have chosen a 1968 Dodge Dart Superstock tribute car painted in burgundy iridescent. More rounds of voting are heading our way, so be sure to stay tuned for those. There you have it, folks. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar-addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com or leave me a voice message on my voice mailbox at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. Folks, we also have merch now in the Talking Mopars merch shop. You can purchase cool things like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. So if you want to help support the show and get some cool stuff at the same time, jump on over to TalkingMopars.com. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars Direct Connections. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.